Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of 321 Go Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here to join us. Uh, and I'm also really excited to introduce to you uh, Mr. Ben Bergeron and uh, invite him onto the show. He joined us this week via Skype. And, um, you know, if you're anything like me, you, you've always looked at these uh, gyms like like Ben's, for example, like, like CFNE, CrossFit New England is one that I've always looked up to. And you always think, you know, will my gym ever be like this? Well, you know, can my business ever uh, look like those to whom I emulate or look up to? And the really cool thing about Ben is that he he breaks it down for us. He kind of shows us what that journey was like. And through the ups and the downs, even gives us a few markers that we need to be looking out for in our business to kind of help always push things toward excellence. You know, speaking of excellence in this episode, I'm really excited because Ben actually revisits the article that he wrote for the journal. Um, and I think it was about 2012 that he wrote the article. And I think most affiliate owners actually read this article as they were opening their affiliate. And, and Ben actually provides, towards the latter part of the show, provides almost an amendment to that article. And and so it's really cool to see one of these gym owners that is constantly evolving in their pursuit of excellence. So Enjoy the show, guys. If you haven't yet, subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review. We're going to have more awesome guests just like Ben coming on in the near future. <laughs> well, cool, Ben. So, hey, I was looking at your bio um, a little earlier this week, Ben, and, and you said that one of kind of the, the markers of success that you see is this ability to blur the line between work and play. What does that mean for you to blur that line between the two? Um, yeah, actually that's, that's definitely been one of my life goals is to do just that, is to not really know when you're working and when you're playing. If you enjoy your job so much that you feel like it's playtime, I think that that, you know, everyone has these different parameters or different definitions of success. And that's one for me is if work feels like play, then I feel like I've accomplished my task. And for me, what that means is. I never feel like I have to go to work. I never feel like I have to do anything. These are all things that I, I get to do and I truly enjoy it. And it's one, I know that it's things I enjoy because when I'm, I'm not doing them, I, I, a lot of times I'll be quote unquote playing and wish I was working. You know, it's, it's not a matter of like, what I think most people do is they can't detach themselves from work and they think about it all the time and they can't move themselves and they have that project they got to get done at work. Um, I, I feel like I'm lucky enough that it's a passion. It's something that I truly enjoy is the, uh, is the day to day. So you had mentioned, uh, blurring this line between work and play, Ben. And I think that as entrepreneurs, that's something that we, we certainly can relate with and gym owners, especially ha- are there any safeguards that you put in place for yourself to where as those lines become further uh, blurred that you do retain some semblance of identity both in your business and outside with your family? Yeah, I think that um, it's a great question. So I think that the, the, the normal life cycle of the entrepreneur, right, is they're passionate about what they do. They love what they do. They feel like they have some talent in what they do and there's an opportunity for them. So they pursue this life of I'm going to do what I love. And what happens is they, they end up becoming kind of an employee to the job and no longer this business owner that can 
do what they originally intended to do, which is of freedom on their terms while following a passion. The passion ends up becoming a job, and they end up not liking their passion anymore. You know, the story that's always used is, you know, this Mary loves baking pies. She loves getting her hands in the dough and the smell of the pies and the look on her customers when she hands pies to people. So she, she loves it so much, she opens up a pie shop, and she's successful. So she has two or three pie shops, and it's successful. And after four or five, ten years, she's no longer baking pies smelling the dough, seeing the customers, she's in the corporate office running these pie shops, doing the exact thing that she tried to get out of. So I think it's this normal life cycle of people that achieve some levels of success where they become these slaves to their jobs. Without putting certain parameters into place, that's a very likely scenario for most people that start off running small businesses. I didn't always have them, and I didn't need them in the beginning because I was single, I didn't have any kids. My job was my passion, my pursuit, and everything I did. I, I poured everything into it, and that was the right thing for me at the time. Now I have four kids, and I've been married for a while. It's, I, I have other things, obligations, and desires in my life, so I put up certain parameters for that. I Every single day, I'm home by, by 6 o'clock at night. One day a week, I'm home by 5 o'clock every day. I don't Come to the, I don't work at all on Saturdays other than to work out myself and train any athletes that are going to the games, but I don't coach any classes. I don't come to the gym. It's just purely coaching. And on Sundays, I don't do anything at all except for the lead up to the game. So I don't go to the gym. I don't leave the house. I'm with the family, um, you know, for that 24 hour period. If we go anywhere, we go everywhere together. So I think without those kind of parameters, you know, we do family dinners once a week. We do date nights every other week. I have certain parameters, procedures, policies, whatever you want to call it, systems in place to make sure that I, I instill some level of balance now. But this is almost 10 years into it. For the first four or five years, those were not, those were not in place, and they would have been misguided. I had to pour everything I had into that. Now that my business is at some level of maturity, now I feel I can back up a little bit and pursue kind of this more balanced approach. So as, as other affiliate owners, when we begin to look at our business and maybe you know they're hearing you talk and they're saying, yeah, man, Ben's got a point. I need to start building in this family time. Are there, you know, are there, you know, road markers along the way or things that we can kind of step back and look at and be like, do you know what? Ben's right. This is a time I need to set a six o'clock. I need to clock out of the business. What are some things or metrics or, or things like that that we could potentially look to to have a gauge as to whether we're at a point of maturity in our business to begin making some of these decisions? So everyone's going to be different. So every individual and every business is going to be different. Having said that, for me, it was when I um, – it was about the 300 member mark. Mm -hmm. So when I achieved 300 members, I felt like we had the, we were stable enough that it was time for me to spend some time putting back into my family. And we're at about, you know, 400 and change now, but at about the 300 member mark, the way I look at it is below 125 members, the owner should be the head coach, the owner, payroll, marketing, front desk, customer service, the janitor. You, it should be a one-man shop. Now, if you have a part-time or two helper to help you coach, that's fine. But under 125 members, it should be 
a full time you, your, you know, if you need to sleep on your buddy's couch to help pay the bill, whatever it is, it's a huge sacrifice. And I think people have become a little bit complacent in that early startup stages where they'll bring on investors and they'll hire a bunch of coaches and they are opening with 8,000 square feet. To me, it's you got to grind. I think there's a big grind level when you're underneath 125. From 125 to 175, that's the time to start thinking about really becoming a little bit more um, established and potentially bringing on another full-time coach. When you get from the 175 to 225, that's where your business is becoming a little bit more mature. You need to create some systems put in place. If you aren't careful, that's where the business starts to own you and you become an employee of the business. If you try to run a business at 225 like you did at 125, you're going to be in for a not very enjoyable experience. When you get to that next level, which is 225 to 275, 300, if you haven't taken, if you're not approaching this as a business, you're not going to, you're not going to enjoy your life. It's going to be, um, it's a, it's a phenomenon called entrepreneurial regret. You're actually going to wish back for a smaller, simpler time when you were underneath 150 because you're going to be doing more work and nothing's going to be dropping to the bottom line for you. You're going to be putting in more hours, but not seeing the rewards from it. I think that the ability to systemize the business and systemize your life earlier rather than later pays off dividends later because when you get to that point, if you haven't systemized it, when you're at that 175 to 225 and you try and do that when you're at 315, you don't have the time to do that. So it's almost like you're in this catch-22 where you know you need systems, policies, and procedures yet you don't have the time to create them. It's this really weird, scary place, which I was in. I mean, I fully will admit that's, I didn't know this stuff when I started. And I went through that entrepreneurial regret. And I went through that part where I was in the business from sunup to sundown. I didn't eat lunch. I didn't eat at all many days because I didn't have the time to do it. And it was this really kind of like, my, my life is spinning a million miles an hour. I can't grab onto anything. I can't enjoy anything. I don't know where this is going. I don't know where, how this is going to get better. And the way it got better was I was forced into, I, I read about this stuff and I learned about it. So that helped, but I basically detached myself from the business a little bit and started to create a little more structure to it, a little more systems. And that certainly helped a lot. So to, to me, it's it's the membership type thing, and other people. Could, the other numbers are so fuzzy based off of location and what you charge versus revenue and profit and years in business and how many employees. To me, members seem to be the 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 most common driving factor. So, Ben, put yourself in in those days. So, you said you felt like you were in a tailspin. Your your business was scaling, yet you had to kind of press pause and turn around and, and create these systems. Was there, uh, you know, thinking back on those days, it may have been a while ago now, but was there a time or a day where you just kind of were like, dude, what, like, what the heck am I doing? Like, was there a seminal moment that you realized this needs to change? Or was that more of like a kind of slow, steady grind on you? Both. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a slow, steady grind. I mean, I could feel it. It was pushing on me real hard. But then there was one specific one minute I can pinpoint, which was I had read the book, The Mm E-Myth, which is short for the entrepreneurial's myth, right? It's the entrepreneurial myth, which is is why I said, like, if you love your job, you're good at it, you'll be successful. Like, if you love coaching, you're a good coach, you'll be a successful gym owner. That's just not true. There's a lot more to it. 
And that's what the E-Myth is all about. It's mostly about systemizing your business, creating org charts and all the rest. So they have a um, example organizational chart, flow chart in their book. And I took it and I created one for our gym. And I put it based off of in the perfect picture, this is what our business would look like. If we had a CEO, a chief marketing officer, finance and, uh, operations officer, and we had the roles and responsibilities that reported up to each, what would that look like? And I put the, at the time I had two full time, myself, two full-time employees and about uh, six part-time coaches. And I started putting little names in all of the boxes of people, of the roles that people fulfilled. And when I got done, I looked at this flow chart and my name was in every single box. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I get it. I understand. I understand why I'm not why I'm not getting anywhere. I had yet to learn how, and it wasn't any of my employees' fault, it was fully my fault. I had yet to learn how to delegate and manage responsibilities away. I was just of that mindset of what every entrepreneur goes through, which is this is my baby, I care about it the most. I know how to do this the best. Nobody else can do this as well as I can. I care about it too much. I'm not going to let it go. The flip side of that was I was scared of how to tell people to do things. Like the people I hired were my friends. If I told them to do something, were they going to think I was bossy? Mm -hmm. And I had this moment where I filled out this flow chart, looked at it, my name's in every box, and I'm looking across at the two in my office, and they had, they had um, seats across from me. I'm looking at the two full-time employees there, you know, just perusing Facebook, doing their thing, you know, full-time salaried employees that were coaching three to four hours a day. It was like this big light bulb, you know, slash someone smashing me in the face with a sledgehammer moment. What was the – when you took that, that uh, organizational chart and you shared it with your staff, so these two full-time employees, and, and you presented this like – vision and and i mean i would imagine at the point you shared this with them this is a vision that would not come to full fruition for some time what was your staff's reaction to actually seeing all right here's what ben has in mind long term um i don't remember their what their reaction was then that was um that was a long time ago mm -hmm. um probably about five years ago but i can uh I remember what the vision was mm -hmm. and the steps that we thought were necessary to get there. And that was a, that was a really nice motivating like rally cry for the team. You know, it wasn't just, Hey, we're going to be in here doing the best we can, giving the members the best hour of their day and try to be as professional as possible. It was, this is for a purpose. And that purpose is this, we're going to drive to try and create this. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to feel like. This is what it's going to smell like. Let's make sure that we do everything we can and by the way, everything we can is listed out right here. This is the 20 things that are going to mean that we've arrived there and we're going to push towards these 20 things. Since then, that was kind of like this, like this vision where we had this three, five, 10 year vision, whatever it was. We didn't have put a, we didn't put a um, timeline on it. Since then, we've become a lot more mature and we actually have a, um, a vision traction organizer. So we have a vision in place. We have a 10-year vision of where we want to go, and then we have a traction or, um, organizer, which has three-year, one-year, and quarterly stepping stones to make sure we get there. The quarterlies are broken down into weekly goals, so every week we have people on our leadership team that are responsible for accomplishing those tasks. Those weekly tasks roll up to your 90-day quarterly tasks 
the nine yearly days roll up to your one year, the one year is rolled to your three, and if you keep on doing that, you achieve your 10. So that is all laid out on paper for us. It's posted in the gym. It's very visible. All the employees know about it. We talk about it a lot. Um, that's a much more mature approach than we used to take before, which was kind of like this. Here's our flow chart. Here's where we want to go. Let's go get it. Go team. <laughs> so what I'm hearing, Ben, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that initial initial hesitation that you had in saying, oh, you know, I hired my buddies and now the big boss man, Ben, is going to be telling us what to do. It was actually the the reverse of that. It was actually motivating and uplifting for your staff, right? Yeah, so a disciplined dog is a happy dog, <laughs> meaning they know what is expected of them. If, you, if the dog has no idea, like, are they allowed on the couch? Are they not allowed on the cage, couch? Are they supposed to go to the door? Where do they when they walk? What's the eating procedure? Like people thrive when expectations are known on both sides. When they're not known, people have this just like I I wasn't thriving as a manager because I was like, I don't know if I should tell them what to do that. I think they know what their job is, but they're not doing it. Actually, at least I don't even know if they're doing it. They're not doing it the way I want them to do it. And they're probably sitting there thinking the same thing, like I feel like I'm doing my job. Does Ben think I'm doing my job? It's like this creates this all this ambiguity and doubt in everybody's mind. When we laid out clearly what the roles and responsibilities expectations were for each position in the gym, and here's where you're responsible for, for the next seven days, the next quarter, the next year, and so on, things changed drastically. And one of the mistakes I made earlier on still was just kind of like, this managing with autonomy, meaning giving people the the freedom to get it done. And I, you know, I've heard a lot of like kind of, I don't want to say new wave, but like this kind of like forward thinking management styles, which is people thrive with freedom. And it's like the reason that people have like, you're now allowed to work from home. And when you go to work, there's ping pong tables and give people lots of break times. And what I found is that doesn't work. <laughs> it's, what works is the old school stuff of if you finish this task, check this box. And by the way, it needs to be done at, on, at 10 o'clock on every Wednesday. And then 10.15 every Wednesday, you need to check this box. And every it's just, I wish it wasn't the case. I really wish that it was this kind of like everybody had this idea of I'm going to take my roles and excel with them and do it better than is expected and all that. But I don't want to say micromanaging, but this real true clarity, it's, it's a clarity. It's really truly like, this is what you should be doing now helps out so much on, on both ends. I think clarity is, is probably the best way to put that. And I really like that analogy because you're right. The dog ends up biting its own tail and chasing it. And, and that anxiety is almost palpable without that clarity. Right. Yep. So, so you, you discuss like, all right, so over the last 10 years of CrossFit New England, you discuss some of these mistakes that you made early on. Now, was there a point in this experience over the last 10 years where you, there was maybe a day or a minute where you actually took a step back and you looked at this business and said, oh, wow, this is, this is that perfect day. This is that, you know, my, my, uh, fun and work, this line has been blurred. Has there ever been that moment where you looked at it and you're like, oh, wow, this is it. I feel so good about this product. No. 
<laughs> um, about a year ago, I thought I was there. A year ago, I I kind of said to myself like CFNE can run itself. CFNE has it's this it's a well-oiled machine. It can do its thing. We've got the right people on the bus and the right people in the right seats. And because of that, I feel like I can take a step away and kind of do my other things, which is training games athletes and running some of my other businesses. And that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. I when I did that. Um, the business took a major hit. We lost about 70 members, 7-0. Wow. In a short period of time. And it was this, and luckily one of my members called me out on it and said, you've, you've kind of lost your focus. You've lost your, you've lost your drive and your passion for CF&E. It looks like you're really interested in all the other stuff you're doing. And that, whenever somebody says, like, it go, for me it goes like, it goes my family and then CrossFit New England. And that's, that's really, that's my, for my love, my passion, my, what I think about, what I care about, that's how it goes. So for someone to say that it really hurt and it stung, but thank God they did because I reinvested back into it and our, we, we came right back up to our 400 and change members. And since then I will never become complacent again, which is exactly to me, that's what you're saying is, is there a day that you're like, yes, we've arrived. Could you imagine like a games level athlete being like, yes, I've won, I've arrived, now I can coast. It just, that is a level of complacency, which is, to me, there's like three things. It's almost like the health, wellness, fitness curve, right? There's on on the, the bottom left-hand side, which is the weakest position, is complacency. That is, either we don't care or we're not trying anymore. It's one of the two. It's, I don't know what it is. Then above that, kind of like the, the wellness point, the middle part of that is competency. And competency is we have the ability, we have the skills, we know how to do this, but we still aren't pushing the on full throttle. And then on the swing all the way to the other side, that right-hand side is excellence. So there's complacency on one side, there's excellence on the other. Excellence is competency Plus this thought of it's never, ever good enough. I'm always going to try and make it better. Every single time I walk in the gym, I'm thinking, how do I make this better for my employees? How do I make this better for my, uh, my uh, members? And nothing, no detail is too small. No detail is too big. So whether it's trying to you know, triple the size of the gym, the physical location, or whether it's trying to make sure every single Kill Cliff label is facing out in the fridge – it all matters. And I think that once you take your foot off the gas pedal, you're sliding back towards that competence. And once you no longer are really even like trying to make it good at all, or you don't know how to do it, then you're sliding towards complacency. So for me, it's the same way I would train my athletes is you're never at the top. There's always more. There's always more potential. There's always more room for growth. You can always make this better. And we're going to continue to do that. Right now we have at CrossFitting, we have a list about it's our, called our issues list, and it's about 150 items strong, 150 items that we're trying to improve in the next year. Wow. That, so you, you say that. It reminds me of a quote from uh, Robert Herjavec from Shark Tank. He says, any good entrepreneur has a healthy amount of paranoia. Huh, yeah, yeah, I like that. 
And and uh, and and certainly, I would say that a, a list that is 150 items long is cert is a is a very healthy amount of paranoia, or like you said, you know, really um, that that never complacent. I really love that image, Ben. So you had mentioned, um, you know, excellence. You know, that's the you know in our in our uh, continuum that you're talking here. You know, fitness excellence on that far side of it. Uh, you wrote an article for the journal. Uh, what are we at? Like three or four years ago now. That I'm pretty sure most affiliate owners have read uh, the Pursuit of Excellence. Uh, in summary, is that how you would uh, classify uh, that Pursuit of Excellence? Is that what that means to you? Is that constant pursuit, checking off those 150 things? Yeah. So to me, the Pursuit of Excellence to me, I've actually. Um, slightly redefined my definition of that since I wrote that article. Mm. Back then, to me, the thought was, if you're caught up in kind of the businessy side of things in terms of like um, determining average client value and cash flow analysis and analyzing your balance sheets and what's your retention rates and all those things, to me back then, if you were focused on those things, you were probably taking your, your foot, your eyes off the prize of what's really true of driving your business, which is, are you optimizing your customer's experience while they're in the gym? Mm-hmm. So back then, that was my thought, is what excellence looks like is can you make it better for your customers? And you'll see this not just in, the, in CrossFit gyms, but if you hire a plumber to come in and fix your bathrooms, it's really easy to see. To me, it's like there's that top of the curve, and every business is either sliding towards complacency or sliding towards excellence. Mm-hmm. And Probably no one is fully complacent and no one's fully excellent, but you're teetering towards one or the other and you can't be in the middle, right? There's there's no middle ground. So if you hire a plumber and the plumber comes in, it's – first off, did they answer the phone? Did they, when they answered it, does it seem like they're excited that you called, right? And then from there, when they come into the business, are they presentable? Do they have a sense of confidence? Are they – are you glad that they're there? Do they feel, does the look and feel and smell professional, right? And then from there is the product, when they do fix the service or the product, are they over-delivering? And then on there, after that, the follow-up process. Is the billing and the invoicing very clear, professional, and timely? And is, if any questions happen, is it is it handled in a really clear, professional manner? So it's the same thing with every business, you know, restaurants, small business, doesn't matter what it is. It's this it's never good enough. Let's continue to make it better. Now, I've added a, a kind of a caveat to that um, approach, which is there's no details too small. So to me now, what the pursuit of excellence to me now is in terms of running affiliate is focusing your attention on every single detail while still putting first things first. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to make sure that you're – pricing structure is clear and that you're, it's easy to find your contact information on your website and that your kill cliff labels are facing out and that the leaky faucet is fixed in the bathroom. Those are important things, but not nearly as important as what the first things are, which is your client's experience in the gym, mostly meaning the relationships that you have with them, building strong relationships and what that goes into this, what goes into building relationships. And secondly, the, the development of your coaching staff. So, I want all this focus on branding. I want all this focus on systems. I want all this focus on management styles and creating visions and core values. But none of that stuff is as important as 
how good are your coaches and how good are the relationships your coaches have with your members. So details matter, but let's put first things first. Absolutely. So it's almost like as you make this progress, you know, using your organizational chart as an example, you know, the end goal is are all of these things pointing to the customer? You know, instead of like business for its own sake, mm-hmm. does this go to improve the customer experience? Yeah, and I think that's uh that's why I mean if CrossFit ever went public, right? Like CrossFit HQ or CrossFit ever sold to like a venture capital company, everything that we do now would change hundred percent because the those companies are slaves to quarterly returns. What they need is short. They need to maximize the return this quarter. And we could do that right now, right? Like we could – I could I could flip a switch and probably you know, add six figures onto the bottom line next quarter. Mm-hmm. But it would be very short-lived, very short-lived. If we jacked up everybody's membership prices by 30 bucks, we would make a ton more money, Right? But that's not that would not be sustainable. The approach should be what is this? It's it should not be how we maximize the bottom line. That's not the approach. The approach is how we maximize the customer's experience in the gym. And not even in the gym. How do we maximize our customers' perception of what they get here? You know, are they living healthier, happier, more productive lives? Are we giving them the best hour of their day? If those things are happening, then all of the rest of the stuff that people worry about. You know, we're we're seventy five percent of the way there. You know, this really. You recently just wrote on on built by Bergeron. You uh, you wrote about this connection economy, and and to me, like what you just said about this idea of short term profits uh, would would be short lived. Do you see this as fitting into this this connection economy that you're writing about? Yeah. So the connection, that's, um, that's a, that's a term that I stole from Seth Godin, who I think is a a brilliant marketing guy. Um, and his take on that is all the, all the tactics that were used back in the eighties and nineties are, are very transparent and not applicable to what we, we do today. So back then it was things like, don't post your prices, get your customers to call you first. Cause once they call you, they've taken that first step in the buying process. Well, that, that's just ridiculous in today's economy. Like, everything in the information is known at people's fingertips at the touch of it, like at a click of a button. Right. If it's not there, they're not going to call. They're on to the next website. It's just this connection economy is this truly open source. If you run an excellent business, people can't help but talk to you about, talk about it. They're going to talk about you. If you run, if, if, and the she gave was, if, if you have an entry-level position, an entry-level job, let's say your job is to lick envelopes and file papers. If you do that better than anyone has ever done that in the history of that company, you're not going to stay in that position very long. People are going to be so impressed with your work ethic, your drive, your attention to detail, your pursuit of excellence, and everything else. It's the same thing if you run an excellent business. If you run a business that exceeds people's expectations – in professionalism, in service, in results, everything else, excellence is hard to keep quiet. Most, oh, that's great. I love that. Uh, so, Ben, you, we, we've touched on a couple, and I want to, as we're wrapping up, I kind of want to leave 
our audience with some things that they can turn around and begin to do to, to make this pursuit towards excellence you know, in the coming week. Uh, the first of those things are books. You know, We've hit on the E-Myth, E-Myth Revisited. Anything else that was really seminal in your journey uh, to, to this pursuit of excellence? Two major books I read really early on that kind of changed my approach to a lot of stuff was Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's thick. It's deep. It's, um, um, it's easy to kind of brush it off as big picture stuff. If you dive into that, it changes your, your approach on life, your approach on business and everything. And the next one was, which again, sounds like fluffy is Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people. I think that those are cornerstones that have to be read by an affiliate owner. I think most affiliate owners probably have read those. But those are two really, really big ones. Um, um, in terms of some other ones that have been really good is um, the five dysfunctions of a team. Um, I think that's a really in- incredible one in terms of uh, management and building uh, a strong team. And then uh, another one, I just had it, but I lost it. Um, um, it'll come to me, but those are, those would be three or four real good starters. I like that. That five dysfunctions. That's a new one to me. I'm certainly going to put that on my reading list. Uh, uh, it's a really, it's, I love the way he writes. So it's, I would really recommend it because you could read it in a plane ride. It's really cool. How you, he's got another one too, that's called the ideal team player. And it's, um, it, the, I would definitely read five dysfunctions first. Okay. Um, uh, it's great because it's actually a, a fable. It's a story. It's about a story about this woman that comes in to turn over a company. She's new to the company and how she turns over the management team. And it's because it's a story, it's easy to kind of you – know, you don't feel like you're learning. You're just kind of engrossed in the actual story. And the first, whatever, 100 pages are that. Then the next 100 pages are truly breaking down what those five dysfunctions are. Oh, I love – I actually, I love books like that. That's a good yeah. – that's a great recommendation, Ben. So lastly, I would like to wrap it up. So at, at the beginning of the show, Ben, you kind of outlined these places that you were uh, in your business. And, you know, you talked about being under 125 members and you're, you're in grind mode at this point. And then you talked about that next sort of uh, measure of like 125 to 175 and things like that. You're talking about these different spots. And, and certainly the goal is to move along this continuum toward excellence. If, if a gym owner, if a CrossFit gym owner right now is listening to this and they realize, gosh, okay, I see myself in one of these life stages and I want to take a step toward excellence, where do you see that first step to kind of move their business along to that next life stage? Um, I would put it on two points. The first one is similar to what we just talked about, which is choose forms of entertainment that are educational. It's as simple as that. So what most people do is when they need downtime, they read a book, fiction, immersed in, they get lost. They read Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, whatever it might be. And then either that or they go and they watch TV or they go to the movies. What ultra successful people do is they establish good habits. And part of those habits are that entertainment becomes on a form of learning. They read documentaries, they read um, business books, they read things on how uh, management, how to become a better um, uh, leader. Um, the second side of that is what's called double loop learning. It's, it's a, a term that's basically looking intrinsically and realizing that you are ultimately in control 
of your success. Mm. It has nothing to do with demographics, your location, or competition. If you're not at the level you want to be, it's because of what you are doing. It's not your coaches, not the competition, it's you. And this is a huge like slap in the face for a lot of people. And it was for me, basically, when we lost those 70 members, it was because of me. It wasn't because of anything else. It was because of me. It was easy to say it was because of somebody else because other gyms were popping up around us. And it's easy to say like it's the competition. But when I reinvested in the business, it came back. So it's us. It's me that drives the success of this business. If you are stuck at 145 members and you cannot get through that next level, it's not because you don't have the right marketing. It's not because competition is opening up down the street. It's not because of anything other than what you are doing inside the walls of your gym. Excellence is hard to keep quiet. Pursue excellence and you'll start to see that a lot more things are under your control than you think. Ben, uh, that is an incredible place to leave it. Uh, ben, you were super generous with your time. I, I can't thank you enough. Listeners, uh, check out what Ben's up to, builtbybergeron.com, uh, CrossFit New England, CrossFit Tilt. Uh, check out some of the cool stuff they've got going on over there. And uh, you certainly have your book recommendations uh, over at builtbybergeron.com as well. Uh, Ben's got his competitors training, his master's competitor training, and also uh, affiliate excellence over there. Ben, uh Dude, thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate your time. You got it, Matt. Enjoy it. All right. Thanks for sticking around, listeners. Again, if you haven't, subscribe on iTunes to 321Go Podcast. Leave us a review and share it with another business owner that you think will find some value out of this. Have a great week, guys.